we covered last week, and it's with all of my heart, I, I, I know it to be so in my heart that through the greats of men of old that have transpired and God has used as pillars in the different eras of the, of the gospel itself is that Romans has been a monumental book that has done so much for the New Testament church. So much so that when man got together to put the canon of scripture together in the order that they did, Romans was placed as a gateway to the epistles. And rightfully so, skillfully so, thoughtfully so. So I'm looking forward to myself being transformed as we dive into this word and get 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 the the gist of what the spirit of god was was giving was giving the apostle paul to this newly found church that was in rome the rome being the the sphere of influence in in the world in the ancient world of its time you weren't anybody of any kind of stature or stout unless you came out of rome and so the church in rome as Paul understood and was led to, he understood that he hadn't had time to get there, but his heart was there. We see it in his letters, and he's going to explain that a little bit. He saw the need for a Christian document for this newly found believers, this newly found church. They needed a Christian constitution, so to say, a statement of faith, so that they would all be on the same page, because Rome was a place of influence, and to avoid the world system from infiltrating the church itself, he saw Dyer's need, so much so that he couldn't wait till he got to Rome. He had to write this letter. And in this letter, he wraps up the gospel of Jesus Christ, what he calls the good news of God. And we covered an overview, and we're going to dive into that, and we're going to get, I promise you, we're going to get to, we're going to get done here with verse 1 for sure. But we covered an overview of the details of the letter, the body of the letter, the bones of the letter. And depending on what you're studying off, we know, and, and you probably may know already, the letter you can be broken up into... I, Seven to eight different parts, introduction, sin, depravity, it can be broken up in that many aspects. But the meat of the body, the, the meat of the letter, the bones of it, can be structured in three different areas. And we covered that, and we looked at that structure. And we, we, we covered how verses, one, uh, chapters 1 through 8, and we're going to be in for a while, it's... they. Chapters 1 through 8 are, are, are basically doctrinal in kind. It's where we see man's sin condition. And it's exposed in all of its ugliness. And Paul covers the doctrinal truths of the depravity of man. So 1 through 8 basically covers doctrine. And we see that this section... Uh, of one chapters 1 through 8, it starts off with the wrath of God towards man. The wrath of God towards every human being that was born after Adam. And then it kind of ends and rolls over into the next phase with the peace of God. And then we see Paul break that up and what turned wrath into peace. And then we get into chapters 9 and 11. And in these chapters 9 to 11 is another section that Paul changes his focus onto the nation of Israel. And how the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, applies to the Gentiles. And how the Gentiles are adopted into that family of the family of faith known as the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. So we see Paul in these chapters. We see him in the second part as he transitions over to the subject of Israel. We see, we're going to see Paul dive into the sovereignty of God. 
very deeply and very to the point, he's going to dive into the sovereignty of God. And with that, he's going to, he's going to transition over to the responsibility of man. And if those, if those things are not very clear, he's going to make those things clear for us. And we're going to find out, just as he wrote in, in the following chapter, in this little section of, of his letter, you put those two together. Once we get done with the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man, we're going to find out, just as Paul stated in his letter, how unfathomable those two are to try to comprehend. We can't, in our pea brains, we can't put the two together, but we know the two are there and we cannot deny them. Amen? We're gonna, he's going to dive into that and the Holy Spirit's going to break that down for us. The final section of the letter, what we will see in the closing of his letter in, in chapters 12 through 16, we're going to find some of the greatest, most practical, down-to-earth truths pertaining to Christian living. Paul's going to take the doctrinal truths. He's going to take how God works through these doctrinal truths in our lives through the work of salvation and sanctification, what our responsibility is in that working of God that he works sovereignly in our lives and then he's going to show the practicality on how that applies in our lives so with all that said I know that as a church we're going to be transformed I know as a church that God is going to be glorified in ways that, that we would never imagine starting with us as individuals but primarily as we meet as a congregation as a collective body of believers God is going to transform us as a church so I'm really looking forward to it and take notes and, and take this stuff home because we are not, we're not even getting close to exhaust, exhaustfully covering the areas that, that can be covered in, in this magnificent letter. So this is the structure. Now what we see here in chapter 1, you can go to chapter 7, but I'll say chapter, chapter 1 verses 1 through 6. Write those down. Because what I want you to do, I want you to take that home and I want you to read that. I want you to read verses 1 through 6 and take your time with it. Because what we see here in, in the first six verses of this letter, we see the structure that we see with doctrine, the structure we see with the nation of Israel, and the doctrine and the section that we see with the practicality on everyday living as a Christian, we see this whole letter wrapped up in the first six verses. It's almost, see, Paul summarized the whole letter in these first six verses. It's almost like he was so excited to finally sit down and record this document, knowing it was going to his brothers and sisters in Rome, so excited that he, he could not wait for the entirety of the letter. He just blasted out the, the bones and the structure of the whole letter in his first few words. He could not wait to get the gospel of God out to, his, to the people. And so what he does is in these first six verses, he lays out the details of the gospel. He lays out the structure of the gospel of God, the structure of the entire letter. And then what he does after that, as he begins in verses 8 and all the way through the end of 16, he spends time giving the details of what he just gave us in verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read those, but take this home and take your time with it Read and read this. Here's the structure. Let's read these verses. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Take that home. The gospel. The good news of God. And we're going to find out in the months to come, Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is going to take his time and break that whole, all those six verses down for us as, he, as we navigate through his letter. Interesting enough, our, our text for this morning, verse 1. Verse 1, the way Paul opens up this letter, just, just with verse 1, the way he opens up explains a few things to us about Paul. It explains why he was the, a very passionate pillar of example to the Christian faith that he was. It explains a lot about this man the areas, the, 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 the truths that he brings up in chapter 1 concerning, he understood what his identity was in Christ. And he opens up his letter by identifying himself with these major areas in his life. And he took these areas in life to heart. And they were characterized in the way he lived his life. And it makes sense now, understanding how Paul saw himself in Christ. It explains why he was the tool that God used to write over half of the New Testament and over half of the, of the epistles, the letters. Well over half of them himself with the five known authors that we have, he wrote half himself. He understood who he was in Christ. And not only understood it, but lived it. He allowed the realities to drive his pursuits in life. And we see it in his writings. We see it in his encouragement. And the others see it in his life. So this is what we want to do this morning, church. We want to run through verse 1, and we want to see what Paul understood about himself, how the realities of what he understood about his identity, who he was in Christ. And his identity, listen, they're practical. And they are meant to edify the church because these realities that... that that Paul realized about himself apply to us. And just as Paul... To live a God-fearing life, to live a God-honoring life, the same applies to us. We need to understand that the same applies to us. And we need to take these truths to heart and realize ourselves who we are in Christ. And not only realize, but allow them to manifest themselves through our daily lives. That's called sanctification. That's called living a Christ-like life. Being separated from this world that we are in. Being a peculiar people. Being strange. You just don't fit with the world. You're going to find, we're going to find this truth in what Paul identified himself with. In these first few, three very simple but powerful areas in his life. He starts off his letter. The first part of verse 1, Paul. We know who wrote it. 
a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Paul starts off understanding and identifying himself as a bond servant. Your translation may say bond slave of Jesus Christ. It's the, it's the same thing. Most newer translations uh, try to be as literal as possible. They're going to use the term bond servant. What we see in this, Paul identifying himself as a bond servant. Paul wasn't unique to being a bond servant. We see multiple writers of the letters of the New Testament start off their letters with identifying themselves in the same manner. We see James identify himself in James chapter 1 verse 1. James, a bond servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. James identified himself as this bond servant. We see Peter identify himself in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 in the first part. Simon Peter, a bond servant of a bond servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. We see another author of the letters of the, the epistles in the New Testament, Jude. Jude opens up his letter with verse 1, the first part of verse 1, chapter 1. He says, Jude. A bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. This isn't a new character trait. This is a common character trait of a believer. But these were believers that understood something about their service unto the Lord. The same understanding that we sitting in this congregation this morning must understand ourselves. We see John, the revelator, we see him with the same understanding in Revelations chapter 1. Look what he, how he opened up the letter. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bond servants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant John. Bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now, this bond servant, it, bond servant comes with obtaining a heart of service for the sake of others. This is what it comes with. This is not the meaning of the word, but this is the outcome of being a bond servant of Jesus Christ. You're a bond servant to Christ. You're not a bond servant to others, but being a bond servant to Christ, it 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 comes with with a character trait that is in service for others' sake and not your own. And it comes with being a servant of others. We're a bond servant to Christ, and we put others first for the sake of Christ before ourselves in order to portray. It's a means of grace in which God uses on this planet as us as believers, ambassadors of Christ. It's, it's used to portray the gracious heart of God in the midst of this current self-centered culture that we are in. We are in a culture that's all about me. It's all about meeting my needs. It's all about me first. We all hear the statements. You all have social media and don't deny it. It's all, I'm taking care of me now. I find it like they had this great epiphany and they had this life changing a thought. I got to take care of me now. Have that at champ because you ain't going to take care of nothing. It's a self-centered culture that we are in. This is what makes the believer peculiar. This is what makes us different. We don't think the same. We're not selfish. 
And we don't, we don't do things for selfish ambition. We do it because we are a bond servant to Jesus Christ. This is what Paul, a piece of what Paul is saying. The letter to, to the Philippians that he wrote tells us that Jesus himself, himself as a man, Jesus Christ himself took on this heart attitude of a bondservant. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 7 reads, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. Listen to what the word is saying. Look, listen to what it's describing here. It's describing the servant's heart, a servant heart of a bondservant. A bondservant to Jesus, this is the heart attitude. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Don't deny yourself. Yeah, they take care of yourself, yes, but also meet and pay attention to the needs of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Okay, now, if you're anything like me, like when I saw time and time again, I wanted to know what is this bondservant? What is this that captured the minds of the inspired men enough to record it? And was important enough that Jesus Christ did not claim to his highly priestly authority, but put himself down with the attitude of a bondservant. Listen, there's a couple of things happening here. Understand this. We as believers, we start off from the very beginning upon redemption as a servant, as a bond. Now listen, I'm going to make this statement. And hopefully through the word it will bring some clarity. We may not necessarily start off. We start off as servants, yes. But it may not necessarily be a bond servant. We're going to see why I make that statement and how those truths fit together. But nevertheless, we all start off as servants of Christ. And one thing we must understand, we will always be under the servanthood of Christ. Even at the end of the age. Even on to glory. You're never going to be your own person. We're always going to answer and serve under Jesus Christ our Lord. We will always be servants of Christ from the very beginning on into eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in verses 21 through 23. Look what it says here. And it's dealing with physical slavery on this earth. If you have a master that owns you and you're serving them as a slave, which it wasn't a bad thing. Understanding, you got to look the history up. Slavery wasn't a bad, it was just hired, hired help. That's all it was. They were paying them. 
Of course, man took advantage of that and abused him and didn't pay him what they should. We see this in the Word. We actually covered that in the letter that we covered. But nevertheless, it says, this is what this is dealing with. Now, now hear me out. Verse 21. Were you called while a slave? What he's saying is, were you redeemed? Were you called by God's grace while you were a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to become free, rather do that. We covered this in detail, so you'll have to go back on some of our notes of Second Peter. Verse 22. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's free man. You are free in Christ concerning your sla- slave, your earthly slavery, is what he's saying. Likewise, he who was called while free, you weren't a slave, is Christ's slave. You were bought with the price. Do not become slaves of men. Okay, so this is what he said. If you were a slave and were called under the Lord Jesus Christ and repented and God saved you, he says, don't worry about it. If, you're, if you get a chance to be free from that earthly slavery and that's what you want to do, then go for it. You're free in Christ. But he says, if you're a free man, not you, if you want a slave, you're a slave now, a slave to Christ. We, are, we start off as slaves and we are servants of God. That's another word to use. And we'll continue to be servants on to eternity to Christ. Now, when we begin to really live in the reality of being bond slaves to Christ in our everyday lives, it transpires over to many different aspects and attitudes of service that we have in our lives. When we fully, when we get a grip on what it is to be a bond slave of Jesus Christ, and we fully understand that, and we begin to first of all serve our Lord as a bond servant, what that will do, it will transpire over into so many areas of our life, just automatically. The way we live our life. It goes back to what Peter gave us from the very beginning on how we are to be model citizens and how we are to be model employers, employees, and how we are to be model Christians. It boils over into that and allows us and helps us in the road of sanctification. Colossians chapter 3 verses 23 through 24 says this, and this is how it transpires when we understand what it is to be a bondservant and we begin to be faithful to that under the Lord, a bondservant under the Lord. This is what it helps us with. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 through 24. Whatever you do, whatever, work, play, sleep, run, whatever, shop, eat. It's my favorite pastime eating. Whatever you do, Do your work heartily. Wherever you work at, you do your work wholeheartedly. Maybe, maybe there, no, there is none in here, but maybe you know someone that's a complainer at work. Complaining about everything. They weren't complaining when they applied. Oh, they were praising, hallelujah, probably even give a praise report in church that they got the job. And now... All they're doing is complaining. Because they're not getting paid enough. Well, you agreed to get hired for that amount. You 
You had a chance to say no, it's not enough, but you did it. You were thankful. Not you, your friend. Whatever you, whatever you do as an employee, do it wholeheartedly. Because you, you're not doing it under men. Whatever you do, do your work as for the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, it is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Now there's so much there. Peter told us that it's a means of grace in which God will use your example on wherever you're at. He'll use your example in the day of visitation for an unbeliever. There's some people that are around you, church, ungodly people that don't attend church, the closest thing that they're ever going to get to the Holy Scriptures is watching your life. What's your life saying before them? Paul understood this and spoke time and time again in his letters. This all derives from, first and foremost, and we see it in his letters explained, from him understanding that he was a bond servant of Jesus Christ and it, trans, it transpired into the way he lived his life. A bond servant of Jesus Christ. There's another aspect of being a bond servant that Paul was directly referencing, another area of being a bond servant to Christ that is explained in a portion of history in the book of Exodus. The, the repeating of the law. In this portion of scripture in the book of Exodus, we, we see that God was laying out some rules concerning slavery. Slaves hired people to hi, hire, that were hired from wealthy families that were there to help them. And we see God lay out some rules so that the people that were hiring these slaves wouldn't, wouldn't take advantage of them. And so we see in Exodus 21, this is what God is doing. He's laying out some, some rules or some laws concerning uh, uh, owning slaves and how the slaves should react to their masters and how the masters should treat their slaves. And here in our text, in verses 5 through 6, what Paul is doing, he's describing, um, he's describing slaves after they had served their time and the master was done with them. And he was, he was explaining what they are to do with these slaves that were no longer... Uh, 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 that were no longer uh, responsible or no longer obligated to serve their master because the work was done. So this is this portion, I'm reading this because it, it directly describes an aspect of what Paul is referring to as being a bond servant of Jesus Christ. A very essential aspect in what Paul was saying here. Exodus 21 verses 5 and 6, with that said, But if the slave... Now, this is after the slave is done with his assignment and is released from his master. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him, bring him to the door or the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him permanently. Now, this is saying a, a slave that is done, and the master says, okay, I'm done with your assignment. You're free to go. But the slave says, Lord, no, listen, I love you. I love you. I've raised my family here. So a lot of times, the master would assign the wife or whatever it may be. I love the wife I got. I love the kids I got. I, I, I want to stay and serve you. I'm not going anywhere. You can't get rid of me now. It's too late. It's like the apostle said to Jesus, Jesus, what, what do you mean? Where, where is there to go? 
I ain't got nowhere to go. You ain't getting rid of me that easy. I ain't going nowhere. The next day, they were all running from his presence, hiding. This, this kind of slave that was free to go but chose willingly to stay and serve because he loved his master. He loved the life that he was living under serving his master. This was known as a bond servant. Do the homework. This is what Paul is referring to. This is what Peter is referring to. This is what Jude was referring to. This is what John was referring to. This is what the epistle, this is what the gospel is referring to with Jesus Christ being a bond servant, taking on the heart attitude of a bond servant, serving because he wanted to and because he loved the Father. This was known as a bond servant. It was a servant that said, I don't serve because I'm getting paid to serve. I'm not here serving because I'm getting paid. I'm not here to serve because I have to. I'm not here to serve uh, for any other reason other than I love my master. This was a servant that never broke away from being a servant to his master. He lived his entire life serving his master. This is a picture. A picture illustration through history that was pointing to something. It was pointing to the church and to the bond servants, us as believers of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are free in Christ, but just like the gospel says, as the letters say, don't let your, don't let your freedom, don't use your freedom as an excuse to run wild. Serve your master well. And we serve Jesus Christ, not because we're getting paid, not because we have to not because we're getting something out of it because we want to we love him whether Christ does anything in our life or not we're going to serve him into our last and last dying breath that we have that is the hard attitude of a bond servant unto Christ and when I said that we saw, we start off as a servant of Christ, but it may not be a bond servant because we, what we see in congregations, what we see with what we may call new converts or whatever the case may be, as soon as a storm hits, they're quick to give up. They're quick to throw in the tail. That's probably because they were drawn by a false gospel and it was the flesh with that type of person, if they never come back to Christ, because we know that Christ preserves His saints. We may have seasons of sin, but we'll always come back because God preserves us. But those that fall away were never of the faith to begin with. What they were seeking wasn't Christ. They were seeking the blessings that Christ can give them. The new car, the new house. Or if you just serve the Lord, come to the altar now and God's going to give you a brand new car in Christ's name. He's going to give you a new house. He's going to fix your marriage. That's a lie. I can't promise you those things. God can fix a marriage. God does give us good things, yes. But that's not the gospel. That's the world. That's... That's feeding off your flesh. Who doesn't want a new car? I'll be up there. I might not understand what the preacher say. I'll be the first one up there. Both hands lifted up. And if I have to fall down when he has, I'll fall down. Whatever it takes, I want that new car.
I don't mean to be meddling. It's a picture of a bond servant. Us as believers, we never break away from being a servant of the Lord. Why? Because we love Him. We don't want it. We don't want to break free. We're, no, I want to serve you. I'm here for you, not for myself. That's another subject. Let's go back. Verse 1. We've got to get this done. Continue on with verse 1. He continues on. Identifies himself as a bondservant. And then he identifies himself called as an apostle. Called as an apostle. He moves on to identify himself as an apostle. Cap- capital A apostle. Apostleship. So let me give you this nugget. I'm not going to have time to get into it. The apostleship were the twelve. Those are the apostles, capital, capital A. There were other apostles, small a, that when I say apostles, the award itself means this. A messenger. One sent on a mission. So we see that there, there, we see the apostleship run through the New Testament church, and we see that fade away, obviously. But, you know, we're referring to the 12 Paul was one of the 12. He met the criteria, was personally called. This is what he said, called as an apostle. He's saying that I was called personally by Christ himself to be an apostle. But in a sense, we are all apostles. Now, don't run around trying to give yourself the apostle. I've seen, they used to call me in some of the places we went, Apostle John. Hey, here comes the apostle. Call and bring an apostle. Whatever. But listen, this word that he uses, it means the same thing. A messenger, one sent on a mission. Now, in its context, do the homework yourself. Specifically, called an apostle. Specifically means a man sent out by Jesus Christ himself to preach the gospel. This is what he's saying. I was sent out by Christ himself to preach this gospel that I'm going to give you in these 16 chapters. So what he's saying that he was an apostle, not because he decided on his own to become one, not because he was a self-appointed apostle, which we see in today's world, self-appointed people still calling themselves apostles, but because God had effectually called him to be an apostle. He wasn't, he wasn't going to go, he wasn't headed over to, to, to apply for apostleship. He was head, headed over to kill the church. Amen. And on that road to go kill the church, God called him to be a messenger. Jesus Christ himself. Go figure, huh? As Paul was, as Paul was recalling this road to Damascus in which he was called by Jesus himself to be an apostle, to preach, uh, uh, he was called to preach the gospel, this good news of God. As he was recanting this or re- recalling this in uh, his road to Damascus before King Agrippa, he explains how he was called to this capital A apostleship by Christ himself. In Acts 26 verse 16, he says this, But get up and stand on your feet. This is Christ talking to him on that road. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you, a minister and a witness. Not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you. Now Paul was not only aware of the calling, not only well aware that he was called as an apostle, he was called as a man by Christ himself to bring the good news of God to this world. He, not only did he understand that and admit that, but he lived by that calling. I want us to chew on this for a bit. 
He lived by that calling. Now, I understand that there was a unique call for Paul. There's a unique call that we see James address, that we see Paul address, that we see Peter address. Saying, hey, if you want to be a preacher of the gospel, don't, ju- ju- don't just jump into it. Hold your horses, wait a little bit, because that's a big responsibility. Now, there is a unique call of Paul, yes, that is unique to him. Yes. That we can't say apply, that specific call applies to us. It's a whole different thing going on with Paul. Yes. But in principle, in principle, there's a level here that where Paul understood that he was an apostle of Jesus, called by Jesus Christ to be an apostle, we too are called to be messengers of this good news. The difference is the way Paul, how serious Paul took this call. He didn't take it half-heartedly. He didn't take it nonchalantly. There's people that strive for a name, a title. And once they, once they get that title, oh, they love it, bro, but they don't want the responsibility of it. But they love the title. Really, they love it. But never fulfill the true, whatever that title is. He fulfilled this title, and he took it to heart. We as believers are called to be messengers of this good news of God known as the gospel. That's period. No way around it. We are called. You might might not be called full time, but nevertheless you're called. You are in full time ministry because everywhere you go you're to be ready. You're to live your life. You're to let your light shine. Complaining, murmuring, talking ugly, foul language, acting like the world. That's not a witness of Christ. Now the question is, how serious are you taking that call? How serious are you taking the call of an ambassador of Christ? Paul took that call very seriously. And he didn't play games with that call. He took it to heart. This is why I said his identity, how he identifies himself, explains why he was the man that he was. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19, he wrote this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, can I hear an amen? Those that are in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. <coughs> your old lifestyle, your old habits, your old way of doing things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us, though us that are in Christ Jesus, Christ gave us now the ministry of reconciliation. Now he clarifies it, namely, now if you, if you got any qualms about what, what I'm trying to say, this is what he's doing here. Let me, he's saying this, namely, That God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and that he has committed to us 
the word of reconciliation. Now he's given you the responsibility, the ministry of reconciliation. And then he goes on in the following verse to tell the saints that they all are called to serve as ambassadors for Christ in this current world. The world that Peter tells us that we this is not our home. We are strangers. We are sojourners in a foreign land. And God has us in this foreign land to be an ambassador. We An ambassador is someone that is serving in a foreign land that is not their home and represents their home country. This is not our home. Our home country is in heaven in the presence of Jesus Christ Almighty. And our job here on earth is to represent that home. Is to represent Jesus Christ, our home to this in this current world that we are in. How serious, how wholeheartedly are we fulfilling that call? Now that's a shoe you've got to make fit on your own. Let's go back to cha- to let's go back to chapter one. We've got to get ready to roll this up. He continues on. Bond servant of Christ. Called to be an apostle. It wasn't my choice. God, God called me out. And I accepted it. Listen to what else he says. Set apart for the gospel of God. Now church, I want us to patiently hear me out. It may not apply to everybody. It may apply to some that are going to deny it, but it applies. These are some of those things that we like to nudge our neighbor when we hear. Are you listening to this? Are you hearing them? You're hearing the pastor. That's what I've been trying to tell you. It's probably for you. We see Paul identify himself as being set apart. For the good news of for the good news of the gospel, the good news of God. This is another area that Paul identifies himself with. He understood that he was set apart, first of all. Set apart. Let's start there. And we know from his writings and from other testimony that Paul took this fact of him being set apart, he he took it to heart again. And explains why he was the man that he was. And so influential upon the church. He continually made reference to how the believer, not only himself, but how the believer was to separate themselves from the affairs of this world. Just as he did. We, on a continual basis, we are to continually be striving to set ourselves apart from this current world system, custom, customs, culture, attitude, lifestyle of this world. Just as he did. Let's go back to Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 17, look at what he wrote here. Now listen to this. Being set apart. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Bound together, intimate, constant fellowship with unbelievers. We're to hang out, not say you're to run from an unbeliever, not to say hello, and not to not to do things. Or what is, this is not the meat of what he's saying. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Why? For what partnership? 
have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Now he gets even deeper. Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Evil. Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? If you find yourself intimately, not, not only yeah, intimately and very close to an unbeliever, we've got to ask ourselves, what's making us so close? Talking about a friend, you know, we're not talking about family. It's a whole different level of aspect. We saw Peter deal with that. Why? We have so much in common? And that might, that might be so. Well, is that so? Then if we, we have so much in common, either your friend is a believer and you don't know it, or maybe you're not practicing, or maybe you're not set apart, as Paul realized he was set apart. There shouldn't be that much commonality. Verse 16. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, because of that fact, maybe you didn't realize it. Maybe you're starting to realize it's something that, something that you, you need to work on. What Paul is saying here, therefore, because of that realization, therefore, Come out from their midst and be separate. Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. You've got to take that to heart, and this is, you've got to take that and understand what that's saying here. Paul understood that he was set apart, and he lived his life as one that was set apart. We as believers, the whole, if you claim to be a saint, we claim to be one that is set apart. Set apart from what? In order to live a life of repentance. Repentance is not a life of an apology. Repentance is a turning around. It doesn't mean on, on a dime. It's a sanctification. It's a process. You're, you're, you're trying through the, and reading your word and the Holy Spirit's working in your life to turn you, turn you away from the lifestyle of sin. It may take a while to give the word some time. You didn't learn how to sin overnight. It took you a while to be the best sinner that you could be. Right? Through the sanctification process of reading your word and letting the word change you, you begin to live a life of repentance. You're turning away from those old things of life, one by one, little by little. You're turning away from those things. And you're starting to live a life of Christ. In order to begin to, to live a life of sanctification, a life of repentance, it must start with beginning to separate yourselves from the practices of this world. You've got to start somewhere. Let me say this, and if the shoe fits, then so be it. And this is, this is the real deal. We didn't come to try to say everything not to offend nobody. If the word offends, then let it be. That's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. But there's some of us that 
have just become complacent with the old lifestyle. And you do them now without even thinking about it. You're, you, we act and we mingle and we mix in with the world. Anybody, someone that doesn't know you could not tell that you were a believer if they stood around you for a little bit and watched you mingle with the world. We're not perfect. We will never be perfect until we get to heaven, but that's, like Paul himself said, don't use that as an excuse. Don't take the grace of God in vain. And some of us have took it in vain by being complacent. And we are fellowshipping with the world. We are mingling with the world. We are, we are in intimacy with the world. And what we've, we've already stopped trying to separate ourselves from that kind of lifestyle. And we've just accepted it. It's got to start with the realization that we've got to get back on track. Like Paul said, in this race, who, who tangled you up? What caused you to hit the sideline? Who tripped you up? Therefore, you realize it, shake the dust off, get back on that race. And what I'm talking about here in context is get back to separating yourselves from this worldly system and its lust and its practices. Be different. You're to be different. People are to see you, sister and brother, different. They may not know. You may, I'm not saying walk around preaching the gospel all through. They just look at you and say, there's something different about that person. This is what Paul is saying. This is what, this is what Paul realized. He said, I'm set apart. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says this, Do not be deceived. Taking it from the psalm. Bad company corrupts good morals. I don't care how strong you are, young person. I don't care how strong you are, mature in Christ. You hang around a worldly society a little, a little longer than you should. You saturate yourself in that pool, in that pool of sin. I've always learned either one or two things is going to happen to you, especially when you're a new believer. Either you're going to get, you're going to convert that whole cesspool of sin to Christ, or they're going to drag you down with them. And I'm going to tell you something here. If you haven't learned already, the odds are against you. The odds are against you. Bad company will corrupt good morals that God has already instilled on the inside of you. It'll corrupt them. We are to separate ourselves from this worldly system, from the cesspool of sin that this world has created. J.B. Phillips, his New Testament, it's a paraphrase. It's not a, it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. He does an excellent job at, at paraphrasing Romans 12, verse 2. The first part, this is what, how J.B. Phillips' New Testament tra uh, paraphrase, trans, uh, paraphrases Romans 12, 2. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Don't allow the world that is around you on a daily basis, don't allow it to squeeze you into its mold. And that's exactly what it will do. Quit trying to be like them. Quit trying to fit in. You don't need to fit in. On the flip side, use the wisdom of the word. You don't want to be a, a holier-than-thou snob either. Better than. Are we better? No, we're not better than. We read that last week. 
We ain't better than the world. Don't allow the world around you to squeeze you in its own mold. And that's the trouble you are looking for when you do not make an attempt to pull away and to separate from the world. This is what will happen if you continually expose yourself to the lifestyles of the unbeliever. Let's look at Paul's instruction to his son in the faith, Timothy. And I'm going to look at this portion of Scripture. We're going to read it from the New Living Paraphrase. Uh, version of the Bible. Second Timothy chapter 2. Listen to this very clear. Write it down. Second Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. New living. Look what Paul is telling Timothy. Soldiers. We know he's talking about soldier of the Lord. We're all soldiers in the army of the Lord. Soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. You can't. Boy, that's a preach right there, boy. I, I could spend two weeks on that right there. Soldiers do not get tied up in the affairs of civilian life. For then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. A Christian cannot get tied up. A saint cannot get tied up in the affairs of this world. If we do, we cannot please our master who enlisted us into this family. Don't get tied up in the affairs of this world. If, if, if it means for you to get a raise on your job that you have to compromise your, your, your service to God, don't do it. We, read, we learned from Peter, God will honor you. God will be glorified and God will use that as a testimony in the day of visitation upon lost humanity that may be watching that happen. In the process of our sanctification in this current world, we must start with disconnecting ourselves from our past. Disconnecting ourselves from our past. As difficult as it may be, Christians, believers, saints, as hard as it can get with some people, we have to begin to cut the cord. As difficult as it may be with some of our lifestyles, our habitual lifestyles, we got to start with cutting that cord. Snip that cord loose. Do it now. And if you're so far down the line with this thing, and if it's already a three-braided cord, you start chopping away at it through the Word. Start snipping away at it one, one strand at a time. Paul identifies himself as being one that's set apart. He identifies himself as being, he identifies himself as being a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He identifies himself as being an apostle, a messenger of the good news of the gospel. He identifies himself as one that is set apart. And then he gets specific on what he has been set apart for. He was set apart, he says, for a purpose, which, for, which was for the gospel of God. I'm set apart. I'm separated for a purpose. You are separated for a purpose. Understand what that purpose is for the advancement of the kingdom of God and where we fit in the church, in, in the universal Catholic church as a whole. Where we fit in, on, on, in the body of Christ. Paul understood what my God has called me specifically to do was to bring this gospel to the Gentiles. 
he gets specific. Paul is now telling the saints in Rome, as he's continuing with this letter, he's telling the saints that, saints, I've got some good news from God for you. Hold on, because i got good news. In a world filled with bad news, as much as you're hearing about your family members being persecuted, your family members that were chased out of, out of Israel because of persecution of the church, you don't even know where they're at. Some are dead. Some are For all that bad news, saints, he's telling in Rome, saints, I've got some good news for you. Good news that God will deliver mankind from the hopeless condition of sin. Good news that all those who turn to Christ, God will forgive them and free them from the guilt that's upon mankind for that original sin. He's got good news that there's hope in the life to come. Listen, the beauty of this, as we're going to see in this, in these first few chapters, God brings good news to those of us that are undeserving. He brings good news to all of us who were undeserving. We're, Paul is going to bring that to light so we can understand, even now that we're all cleaned up and dolled up in our church vest, how helpless and sinful and dirty we really are at our core. He brings good news to those who are undeserving of it. How gracious God is the one in whom we serve. So this is the kind of man that Paul was. And he shows us in, this, in these three little areas that he identifies himself. He was a bondservant of Christ. He was called as an apostle. And he was separated from the affairs of this world. He was set apart in order to bring the good news of the gospel to a lost and dying world. Let's pray.